Today we're joined by Ben Kay, who has over 10 years' experience of working client-side in senior positions leading digital transformation and social strategy within businesses such as IBM, EE and Thames Water, helping them build meaningful and value-driven relationships with their customers by utilising new approaches to technology. In this episode, Ben shares some useful insights from his extensive career, as well as some practical steps on how to adapt and operate differently to drive customer engagement. It's wonderful for you to join us today. Uh, thanks for coming in to speak to us um, about how you've worked in the digital transformation space. Thank um, you. To start off, we just wanted to ask some quick fire questions just to get you warmed up. So, first of all, winter or summer? Winter. Cats or dogs? Ooh. Dogs. City or countryside? Countryside, definitely. London or Paris? Oh, that's a tricky one. Uh, let's go Paris. Controversial. <laughs> <laughs> introvert or extrovert? Introvert. Read or listen? Read, definitely. Uh, a novel or business book? Oh, no, this is a tough one. Thank you for that. Um, I'm going to go business book, actually. Okay. And is there any that you can recommend? What you've been reading? Oh, there's there's been there's been a few. Actually, I've just read the autobiography from uh, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, called Shoe Dog. Um, really, really interesting book. Um, it's kind of autobiography slash business book. So that's that's my recommend for now. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading that as well. This journey was crazy, uh, very up and down, yeah. <laughs> the roller coaster. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. But, but I loved it, loved it. <laughs> so, um, Ben, it's been great for you to join us today. And you've been client side, interestingly, for quite most of your career um, so far, yeah. working with really big brands, IBM, EE, Thames Water, all making sure that those businesses are building really meaningful and, and value-driven relationships, um, particularly when they're adopting technology into, into their businesses. Um, and I'd love just to hear a little bit more about your experiences so far, because I bet you've got some really interesting insights. Oh, it's been, a, it's been an interesting career. And I, I'm, um, I find myself, actually, interestingly, at, at the kind of, I guess, the halfway point of my career. So, so now's a perfect time just to reflect a little bit. I've, um, I've been very lucky with my career, and I've worked with some amazing brands, amazing people. I think, you know, you, you, you named a few there. I started out, I mean, the majority of my, my career has been in telecoms. Um, I started out, we're launching the BlackBerry. Do you remember that? BlackBerry, crikey, yes. there's, a, there's a blast in the past. I launched mm-hmm. that in Europe uh, just in 2001. And then kind of progressed through a number of the telcos. So I worked with three, I worked with Orange. Um, and then I was heavily involved in the launch of EE in the UK. So that was a really interesting time, a kind of digital brand for a digital age. You know, the start of 4G, you know, when 4G was was brand shiny and new, and now we're already talking about 5G. Um, so so that's been, you know, a lot of my career has been kind of in the telecoms world. As, as you say, I went to IBM. And that was a, a, an interesting foray for me into the consulting world and really starting to get some, some, different, uh, some different clients, some different industries. Uh, I was very fortunate. I spent a lot of my time working with clients predominantly in the US. Uh, so some, some big household names, people like Gap, um, the US Army. I can't tell you those stories, I'm afraid. Um, 
but through to um, a nuclear power station actually here in the UK. So I've, I've had quite a varied um, kind of client base. And then I left consulting and went to Thames Water, as you say, where I was uh, I, I was asked to lead a brand marketing and digital transformation. And, and that's a really interesting sector, you know, a monopoly sector, obviously, here in the UK. Um, you kind of ask the question, why, why would you need to market water? Um, but it's a really fascinating industry and one where it's a product which we never really think about. You don't, you don't think about water or you don't think about waste until you've either not got any or got too much. Um, so I was, um, I was very proud to be able to launch um, uh, a kind of a new direction for that brand and a new direction for how they engage with customers uh, for, for various reasons. And then since leaving Thames, um, I think, as, as, as you said, I've, I've set myself up as a, as a freelance consultant. Um, I've been working with other telecoms brands, back to my kind of history, some pharmaceuticals brands. And actually, as it happens, I'm just in the midst of launching a new company, but I'm sure we'll get onto that in a bit. Um, I guess the constant theme throughout my, my career, as you say, is it's been about helping brands connect with their audiences. Um, and I've been very heavily involved in the evolution of digital and social, you know, right from when social wasn't really a thing through to, to now, how do brands use it more and more effectively? And on a broader scale, what's this digital thing mean? What does it look like um, for, for an organization? And how do they kind of build positive relationships, which ultimately is about how they drive commercial outcomes? That's really interesting. It's quite a, quite a varied career um, in terms of, you know, there's not many people who've been able to kind of have the insider's eye on, on different companies, albeit, you know, mainly predominantly within the telecoms, but also, you know, switching to sort of agency side a little bit with the IBM yeah. uh, as well. Um, and like you say, yeah, commodities is, is something that people just forget about until they're like, oh, my God, I don't have any electricity, gas or water. And then it becomes this huge problem. So, you know, what are the key lessons you've learned along the way from, from working with these different companies? Ooh, I think we could probably fill a podcast on, on some of those, to be honest with you, Vicky. <laughs> um, let me think. I mean, I, I think you're right. It's, it's quite, been quite a, a varied career and you know, giving me insight from both client side and consulting side. I think there's probably a few things that, that I would share that are my kind of key takeouts that, that I now kind of structure my career and my engagements around. And firstly, it's about, uh, as a leader, being able to set a vision. You've got to start with this really clear vision and goal. Where are you going? What are you actually trying to achieve and why? And the why is a really important question. And and quite often I talk to to my clients and they say, you know, I want to do X, Y, Z. And then when challenged, you kind of go, well, why is it? Why, Why are you trying to achieve that? And, and often that becomes unstuck. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of science around, you know, the five whys. But for me, setting that vision and setting that ambition is so critical because I've been really lucky enough to lead a number of teams, uh, a number of organizations. And I've found that the best way of galvanizing a team and organization to, to, to move forward is to set those ambitions so everyone knows what they're working to. So vision is my first one. Um, plans. Uh, and, and I was kind of, I was thinking about today and I'm thinking about, you know, what, what would this look like? And it's that kind of old saying of, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men from, from Robbie Burns. And that, and that for me is really true. You know, we get a little bit fixated on, well, we plan, we've got a project plan. We've got a plan. We know what this is going to happen. We know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week. Um, but I think, and, and interesting, the times that we're living in right now, we don't know what's going to happen next week 
or beyond. Um, so, so being able to be um, adaptable and be able to change plans, you're always keeping in mind that goal that we talked about before is, is so critical. But actually, having the adaptability um, uh, is, is is without a shadow of a doubt critical to me. And then, last but by no means least, I guess for for my kind of nuggets would be engaging, engaging your audiences. As you said before, Vicky, I've worked in a number of organizations. I've worked with and for a number of organizations. And one of the biggest barriers to success that I've found often is the organization itself. And really what that's about is engaging your stakeholders, understanding who your stakeholders are. And sometimes they're internal, sometimes they're external, but by and large, you've got to really understand the politics and the agendas within an organization understand that the dynamics of what's actually going on um, and it comes you know all the way back through to my point about goals so being able to go out into your organization with a really clear articulation of of what you're doing why you're doing it what your goal and ambition is going to be um, is, is absolutely critical so so that for me then starts to build give you a basis of you know, building your allies in an organization so when your plans do come on stuff you've got allies who can help you move that that agenda forward but yeah for me those kind of three things naturally build and intersect with each other i kind of really um kind of resonate with your point about you know it's about getting everyone what we often use is on the bus <laughs> like yes. getting everyone aligned with that clear vision <laughs> um that certainly rings true very much from from our branding agency perspective i'd be quite interested to know is there anyone that's been quite key in like influencing you or inspiring you um throughout this it doesn't have to be someone you've necessarily worked with it could be something you read or um <laughs> Yeah, and it's you know I'm I'm I, as we said before I I, I do read a, a reasonable amount and I looked around you know there are some very big figures around um, and depends on what kind of inspiration you're looking for you know I'm I'm a big fan for example of, um, of Barack Obama and the way that you know, he has an ability to articulate and um, and and share his emotional experience and engage audiences so for me from a a pure storytelling and engaging an audience you know there's, there's someone like him but i think you know there, there's some obvious candidates like, like obama but for me i think where i've got most of my inspiration and probably influence actually is from the teams that i've worked with and who've worked with me you know quite often i'm i'm kind of the, the leader the one who gets to you know do the thing on the stage and do the whole jazz hands piece uh, which which i love despite me saying i'm an introvert i do love that that, uh, that little <laughs> bit of jazz hands on the stage um but having a team around me and it's something that i'm i'm so passionate about having you know the right people who are prepared to challenge me who are prepared to to help me to work with me um and who bring different viewpoints and experience i can i can think of people i've worked with quite recently who who really have challenged my thinking and as a result, I've grown out of that. So, so for me, I'm always looking to the people that I work directly with and who work with me to, 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 to inspire me, actually. And then in terms of your new venture, obviously going independent, yeah. um, could you tell us a little bit about that and, and what you're going to sort of focus on and how you help your clients now as a sort of independent consultant? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is a really exciting time for me. So I've spent a lot of my career, as we talked before, in some very large organizations, some large, some large brands um, around the world. And that's been hugely, hugely interesting. And I've, I've gained a lot of insight about, about the way organizations operate. Um, but I was talking with a friend of mine in kind of the last few months and, and her and I were I'm just chatting away and saying, you know, what, what is it? What's our frustration? Why, why are these organizations not moving forward? And quite often what we find and what we found is, yes, there's some of the politics and agenda, but often the thing that stops an organization moving forward is, is a real lack of clarity and being really, really super clear on what is it you're trying to achieve? Why are you trying to achieve it? And then how you'll get there. So um, my brand, which I've, I've named No Hokum, um, was born really out of this desire to really cut through a lot of the noise. And there is so much noise out there. Um, if, you're a, if you're sitting in a client-side organization, you are constantly bombarded with you know, technology vendors, with agencies, with consultants like, you know, like myself, all telling you about what the future could hold, what it's going to hold. But actually, when you look at it, there's a lot of there's a lot of nonsense in there. There's a there's a lot of um, um, buzzword bingo, shall we say, uh, if we keep it straight. And so, so really, what I wanted to try and do was was cut through a lot of that that uh, that noise and really bring uh, clarity on what is it the organisation is trying to achieve and why in this world where customer expectations are constantly evolving. And I'm sure we'll talk more about. You know, in a post-COVID world where customer expectations are. But we see this constant evolution of markets and industries. And, and unfortunately, I think we are bombarded with a lot of, a lot of solutions and uh, capabilities which could change everything. But can they? Unless you've got real clarity about what you're trying to achieve and why you're trying to do it, um, those solutions don't, don't go anywhere. So, so my, my, my organization, my company, is, um, is, is, is really there to help customers, our brands, our customers um, get more out of their relationships with their clients mm. because I fundamentally believe in, in this world, brands can and should build better relationships, um, more emotional relationships, more positive relationships with their customers in order to achieve commercial outcomes. Mm. And I guess one of the, the buzzword bingo words is actually digital transformation. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yes. <laughs> So uh, uh, I'm going to ask the question, um, what does digital transformation, what do you think of it as a word and what does it kind of mean to you? Yeah, it's, um, so is it, is it a buzzword? I, I think, I think it is sometimes, sadly. I think mm. we do find, we, we all latch onto it and yeah, we're all guilty of it. So, you know, it's not, it's not a pointy finger moment. It's, it's one of those phrases which has been used so much now that it means so many things to so many people. I'm sure, Vicky, if, you know, we went and asked a hundred people, you know, what for their definitions, we get a hundred different answers. So Absolutely. What, what's, what does it mean to me? Okay, let's take it in the two parts. Um, digital. Um, again, dare I say, it's a little bit of an overused word. And, and, you know, can I see a world where the world digital isn't used anymore? And it just becomes just the way that we engage our audience. Absolutely. So I think it's a challenging word. It means so many things, but, but it has so many connotations to technology. And that, for me, is is probably where the issue starts to lie, actually. For me, it's about what does digital enable, and it's about enabling collaboration, access to information, connectivity, and data, a different way of 
learning, of working, of engaging. So, so digital for me is is almost the enabler, if you like. It's it's the technology is there to help us to facilitate different ways of of working. If that's our if that's our use case. And it's not just about a website or an app or social media or all, you know, all of those things. It, 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 we need to kind of start to separate ourselves away from that conversation about the technology. And then transformation. And I get, if I'm honest, I get a little bit uncomfortable with the word tra- transformation because um, what it, for me it conjures up is these big multi-million pound projects, technology vendors that I'm, I'm kind of slating a little bit, I don't mean to, you know, big consulting companies, um, yeah, it, it kind of it's, it scares a lot of people. I think this notion. And I think particularly in the world that we are starting to see, and we're emerging from a kind of the post-COVID uh, world, the word transformation I think will probably start to die away a little bit. Actually, and we're going to need to talk about a much more practical, tangible steps to achieving the goals and visions that that we talked about earlier. So. So is digital transformation gone as a term? No, absolutely not. And it will it will still kick around. But I think we will see an evolution of what people mean and understand by it um, going forward. Mm. I wonder if it's something that will kind of almost evolve into a bit like the use of um, the word digital, like it's just <laughs> a thing. It's, it's something that always has to to evolve you can't just go in and do a digital transformation and then step out of the right we've done it now we've transformed game exactly perfect see ya it's it's an <laughs> ongoing cycle isn't it so yeah and i think you know there's there's, there's a couple of things for, for me in that I, you're you're absolutely right and i totally agree transformation is not a one-off activity and, and i talk you know i start to talk about digital adaptability and what we've seen happen um through COVID is, is organizations have been forced to change, you know, working differently, engaging their audiences differently. So they've been forced into, into change. And you know, we've seen um, kind of posts on LinkedIn about the, you know, the biggest accelerant of digital transformation that has been COVID. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Um, but it's not, it's, it doesn't stop now. It's about adapting and continually understand or continually thinking about what could happen next week, next month, next year. And the reality is we don't know. So how do we create the conditions in organizations for adaptability? You know, some might call that being agile. And again, I think that's an, we won't talk about that one, but it's a, it's an overused term, I think, again, and misunderstood. Yeah, it's confusing, um, isn't it? Because it talks about yeah. a process and also a thing that can be adapted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so for me, I don't, um, you, you're right. Transformation is, is about is about ongoing adaptation. It's about ongoing change. Um, and, and, so, and I find that really exciting, actually. I think that's going to be a really interesting one. The other point you made about, about the word digital, um, I think we probably force a distinction between digital and non-digital. You know, and the classic example, um, you know, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of Mark Ritson, the, the, the marketing professor. And he talks, he, he waxes quite lyrically about um, uh, the, kind of the, the role of a digital marketer. And it's a false, we're putting a false barrier up as though you know, if you're uh, not a digital marketer, you're a traditional kind of analog marketer. But actually, the reality is marketing is marketing. You know, if you're using, if you're using know, radio as, as one of your medium, well, that's digital. If you're using um, video, that's digital. And so they've gone to the barrier. So we are, the language we use, and again, it comes back to my point about no hokum, actually, 
It's about the language we use in organization drives some of the behavior and the culture and actually the distinctions that we start to make. And that ultimately impacts our customers because we think in, well, if I'm a digital marketer, I can only use channels X, Y, and Z, and you're a traditional marketer, so you use you know, a, a, B, and C. It's nonsense from a customer perspective. It's just how you present yourself to a brand. So, so I think a simplification of language um, is so important. Um, and it comes right back to, to, to the reason, as I say, I set up No Hokum, which was bringing clarity, bringing simplification of language and getting everybody on the same page, achieving the same goals and objectives. It's almost, got, digital transformation has almost got that kind of like, almost like cool ticket to it now, hasn't it? Exactly what you were saying about digital marketers versus, you know, not digital marketers. And actually, at the end of the day, what we should all be focusing on, what's right for the customer, what's going to drive the biggest amount of engagement and get us where we want to be, that vision. Um, but do we need to label that? I would maybe not. Well, well exactly. And I, but you, you said exactly the right point, which is, yeah, focus on your customers, and I think, you know, we've again, customer experience is another term which we've has been kicking around for, for so long. And I've, you know, I've had customer experience roles and titles in, in, my, in my career. I went to a, a conference uh, 18 months ago. And it was the first customer experience label conference I've been to in about three or four years. And it was just really interesting to sit there. And actually, the narrative hadn't changed. Um, the technology vendors had changed. Some of the, the, the keynote speakers had changed. But fundamentally, the narrative hasn't changed which was, you know, are you putting your customer front and center of, of your organization? And, and sadly, I think it's still true that, that many aren't. Many organizations aren't putting them front and center. Mm. Um, and I've, I've, I've battled with that one a little bit. What, what's driving that? You know, is it the kind of, you know, the budget, the financial question? Possibly. Yeah, absolutely. But I think putting, if you put your customer at the front and center, and that's not about delivering you know, the, the, the quickest, fastest, freest, experience actually you know, there are plenty of examples out there of brands who deliver great experiences at a premium price which drive up you know the organizational profitability and so on and so forth so you know for me that focus on customer will reap the rewards in terms of revenue in terms of acquisition in terms of retention in terms of all the kind of key commercial metrics that you want to do so it, it comes all the way back to the conversation we were having earlier about goals and objectives. So being really super clear about what is it you're trying to achieve. And if it's about driving, you know, driving up your, your acquisition rate, that's that's absolutely a fair, a fair objective. And I'm, I'm, I'm all in for that. So how you go about doing that, put your customer at the center of that and understand your customer. And I've got some thoughts we'll talk about in a bit about kind of customer in a post-COVID world, but understanding your customer is so critical in order that you're going to achieve those objectives. Mm. But where do you, in, in these companies, um, you know, if everyone's putting customer first, how do you then get the team culture aligned to that in your experience? And that's a great question. Um, and obviously, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, the, the culture of an organisation is what what is going to drive, drive everything. Um and often I, I kind of, and I've been involved in setting your company values and, and trying to, to adapt cultures. And a lot of what I find I'm doing actually is about cultural change and helping, helping organizations think differently. 
you know, it, there's tools and techniques to help you understand the customer. There is nothing more powerful than sitting in front of a customer, hearing them talk about their experience with your brand. And it's embarrassing. It's uncomfortable. And I, you know, I'll be, I'll be quite open. I sat um, in front of a group of customers uh, when I was at Thames Water, actually. And I said before, there's nothing more emotive than, than not having water and hearing you know, their experience of, of us as an organization was really quite um, quite an eye-opener. So for me, you know, bringing customer into the heart of your business is, is critical. Now, that's slightly different to saying put your customer first because sometimes, actually, you can't put your customer first for, for a variety of reasons. But I think if you're doing things consciously and understanding where your customer sits, what that customer interaction is looking like, then actually you start to get people to do the right things. Incidentally, I should also say, it's not just the job of a customer experience team to think about customer experience. And you know, that's, that's clearly a, a massive challenge. As you get further and further away from that kind of interface with the customer, it becomes increasingly difficult. But actually, ironically, some of the most customer-oriented conversations I've had are with people who sit furthest away from customer, you know, the kind of somewhat deemed the support services, the back office services, the finance, the legal, the HR, actually often find they are, they can be some of the best uh, sources of, of, of insight and information about, um, about customer centricity. Hmm. It's quite interesting because you've obviously worked in sort of both B2C and B2B. Do you think that is, are all of their kind of challenges mirrored? Is everyone having a, the similar sort of challenge points or if you'll be to C, have you got a different set of challenge points that to be to B? I think, you know, B2B is without a shadow of a doubt, a more complex um, set of interactions. Of course there is because the buying cycle is much longer. It's much more complicated in terms of the amount of people that are involved um, and, 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 and how they engage with their audiences. But I think B2B has some lessons it could absolutely learn from B to C um, in terms of building those ongoing relationships that we keep kind of talking about. You know, traditionally, in a B2B organization, it's been kind of the, the preserve of the sales or customer success teams to, to build relationships. And, and, and that's kind of false, actually. If you think about the conversation we just had before around you know, bringing customer centricity into an organization, that's equally true in a B2B organization as it is in a, in a B2C. And I think, you know, COVID in particular has um, probably brought around an opportunity for B2B businesses to think a bit more differently. And for, for marketing people, and I use that in a broad, really super broad sense, marketing people to take more of a, a lead and develop more of a, a kind of digital B2C approach, but in a, in a B2B business. I saw I saw a really interesting stat actually in the last kind of week or so from from one of the large consulting companies which said eighty five percent of B two B customers businesses want to renew uh, their relationship online and not have arduous sales conversations. Their words, not mine. Um, <laughs> and, and that that was a real eye opener for me. And I think about you know myself as a client um, engaging with with um, other B two B brands. And, and I can see it. I can absolutely see it. I think 85 is a, a very high number, but I think it's it's a really interesting indication of where, where the market is going. 
that said, and one of the one of the things that I am I'm a huge advocate of actually, and I've said to a number of the suppliers that I've worked with in the past, is it's ultimately B2B is a lot about, actually to be fair, both B2B and B2B2C actually, is about relationship. It's about am I doing business with somebody I can connect with? And some of the best partners that I've worked with, some of the best suppliers I've worked with, we've had a, we've had that relationship. Yeah, where you can have the open and honest conversation about when things are working and not working. Um, but, it, but, but thinking about this in not just in a sales funnel term, but in much more of a life cycle term. So you know, being engaged with the, the salesperson across my life cycle as a customer, as a B2B customer, is so critical. But we don't talk in life cycle terms in B2B world. We only seem to do that in B2C. So I think there are some huge lessons for B2B going forward. Quite often, I think, you know, mentioning the, the dreaded C word, COVID-19, <laughs> that it's kind of been quite interesting about the impact that's had on both, you know, on everyone really, and the B2C and B2B and what the kind of nuanced differences are. I've kind of felt that the B2B side has been less impacted from my point of view um, mm-hmm. than the B2C. Because businesses still need to keep running. They're still running in the backgrounds. It's the um, closure or closure of the offices. I mean, I'm in London today and there's like no one around. Um, The the sandwich shops, the pubs, the, you know, I kind of feel they're the ones hitting the challenges. Mm. Whereas the, the B2B sides, you know, that still they're still sort of functioning as such in my opinion anyway yeah I, th- I think they are but I think um almost my biggest fear in a, in a in a post-covid world is that we try to go back to you know normality and I I kind of wince a little bit even when I say those words and it comes back to my kind of cutting, cutting through the nonsense there are so many terms out there right now mm. Normal, new normal, yeah. unprecedented. You know, we, we could list them off. You know, there's, there's a game in that in itself. Um, but I think the businesses that are are, are going to succeed and get um, and move forward in this world uh, are those that understand this adaptability piece. So, so you're right. A lot of organisations are continuing to operate, but but I have to ask the question: you know, Do you need a big London headquarters anymore? Well, you've been forced into a situation where your workforce have, have had to work remotely. Um, so so if that's working and you see that working effectively, you know, are you still achieving the same kind of outcomes that you were? Um, how do you, you know, how do you transfer that and translate that going forward? You could just ship everybody back into the office on Monday morning, or you could think about how you can operate your your business differently. So, you know, for me, I think there's a pivot point for organisations right now to to think about what they do and how they do it. Because actually, there's a, there's an underlying piece here: the cons- the customer, the consumer, ultimately has changed. Um, and again, I was reading um, uh, a report recently about, or a post I think it was on LinkedIn. I should think about it about all of our, all, everything we know about our customers has changed. Uh, and so, you know, we've got uh, analysis of our, you know, whether it's an NPS result, customer satisfaction, you know, whatever those kind of customer research, customer insight metrics look like. We've got them going back years. 
But we've got a gap in the middle from March this year onwards where things fundamentally changed. Now, what do we do now? Do we say, oh, we, we'll just ignore that period? Well, I don't think we can do that. Um, do we put big caveats on the on the slides which show, you know, our growth was going this way, but there was a there was a gap in the middle? I think we almost have to chuck away a lot of what we know about our customers and the know about the way we operate and look at what's the what's I'm doing, doing my own cliche now, what does the new customer look like? <laughs> what what does the post-COVID customer, what's the post-COVID market look like and, and feel like? And the reality is we don't know. So you know, if we're honest, we sit here today, as you say, we're we're just at the end of July. We don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't know what's going to happen next month, next year. And that's okay, actually. For me, I find that quite exciting because uh, what we've got to do is think about, well, if we don't know, how do we create the right conditions in our organizations that, you know, should there be, you know, another lockdown or something else entirely different happens in, in the coming months that we as organizations, as B2B organizations, as B2C organizations are ready and have the right conditions and the right um, processes, the right, the right capabilities to handle it. Because you know, I've been involved with with kind of crisis, crisis communications, and crisis management in, in some of my roles. And the reality is, you never know what that crisis is going to be and look like. So you can't you can't cater for every eventuality. What you have to do is create the conditions that your teams, your organisation, your employees are ready to handle whatever is thrown. So I so I think it's a real time of change. So. I guess that maybe that's why I struggle with the words going back to normal and new normal, because mm. actually it's not about normal. It's about constant change and constant adaptability. And not every organization is going to be comfortable with that. Um, that's a real mindset change, a real yeah, mindset change. You know, so often we hear in organizations, well, that's the way we've always done things. Well, <laughs> guess what? It's not the way we're going to have to do things going forward. Mm. So, so for me, it's super exciting times. Um, Challenging, scary, but actually really exciting as well. So when we're looking ahead in this, you know, times have changed, you're really excited. What do you think that role of um, creativity is and the importance of that role of brand when connecting to customers in that transformation changing space? So, so I think, you know, the word brand is one of those words which has been kind of somewhat maligned over, over years. And it's kind of been kind of almost put in a corner and goes, that's those fluffy people over there who, who do brand stuff. And that's simply not fair or right. Because um, for me, brand is the essence of your of your organization. It should be the, the essence of everything you do and the way that you do it. So, you know, we talk about purpose um, and brand purpose. And I'm, I've spent a lot of time thinking and researching, looking at, at brand purpose and what does that mean? You know, it comes from, obviously, Simon Sinek's uh, Golden Circle and, and you know, asking the question of, of why do you exist as an organization? And for me, you know, we talked before about customer experience. And actually, customer experience and brand should be one and the same thing, actually. What you stand for as an organization, what you do as an organization, and more importantly, why you do it, is the essence of your customer experience. And, you know, the, the word brand purpose, again, is overused. It's another one that we can potentially add to our list of, of words. And I see organizations who have, have adopted a purpose, um, kind of retrospectively, it, it feels a bit uncomfortable sometimes. 
I go, Bianchi, I use it. It's a bit like dad dancing at a wedding. Um, and I can say that. I can, I'm a dad and I can't <laughs> dance. Um, but it's just a little bit unnatural, a little bit uncomfortable, actually. Um, but the brands that have got it right and are really clear and have their brand infuse everything that they do, um, I think it's it fascinating. And it, I was um, looking only last night, actually. I was reading on LinkedIn um, uh, a couple of articles from the founder of Gusto, um, the food organization, the food brand. And uh, fascinating. I mean, fascinating the way that they describe themselves and actually what their mission is to do and about creating effectively better food, healthier food, at, at minimal waste for the UK. And I just think that's quite an interesting um quite an interesting organization and brand and the way that that permeates everything that they do. So for me, there is absolutely a role for brands. And, you know, the, the line of demarcation between brand, marketing, customer experience, even customer service to a certain extent is becoming so blurred, actually. And, you know, we've kind of put in these organizational structures and silos. But actually, when you get to the hub, the, the nub of everything you're trying to do, Actually, it stems from having a really clear brand purpose and identity. The aesthetics are important as well. But being really clear on why you exist as an organization so you can hang everything off that. So we, you know, we started our conversation about digital transformation without rooting that in a really clear brand, branded way. You're just implementing potentially technology for the sake of it without really knowing why you're doing and what you're doing it. I 100% agree. And it's it's amazing how many consultancies are just so blind to this approach. Like, it's, I find it fascinating because they'll go in and they'll say like, right, okay, you know, what's the challenge customer? And they'll say X, Y, Z. And, and they'll kind of reorganize the whole business, um, bring in new technologies, work on great platforms, do a really good job at that. But the, actually the fundamental thing is, is like, how are you telling this to your teams how are you telling this to your customers? And like, why the hell are you doing it? It's kind of like, where are we going? And it, it's such a stuck on afterthought. Um, and yeah. it's, it's amazing how like the opportunities are missed again and again and again when people are looking at digital transformation because they're just looking at implementing technology in a business and not looking at why. Yes. Um, so I think that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I see examples. It really saddens me when I, I got an email from, from my utility provider, not and I won't name the name, announcing that they'd uh, changed their, self, their self-service platform. They'd undergone a digital transformation. So even the language starts to permeate into customer communications. No. <laughs> and, I, and I just go, oh, no, 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 no. And I think, you know, that, again, it comes all the way back to, to kind of my my ideas around the hokum and, and, and really starting to cut, the, you know, cut through the noise and the clarity and be really clear in the language that we use in day-to-day in our organization because the reality is it starts to translate through into customer. And the point at which I receive an email saying we've just had our digital transformation, I'm, 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 you know, Head, head in the hands moment. Yes, absolutely. Because half of the population aren't going to understand what that even means. Like, so, yeah, why even, men- yeah why even mention it at all? It's a bit like, we've just improved this for you because you fed back, da 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 da. Oh, and by the way, we're also now looking at, you know, can't you just talk like a human? <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, it's a really important point because I think we get a little bit. Um, 
and I can say this from a client side perspective, a little bit fixated on the projects that we deliver. I've seen, for example, in, in, in organizations, new billing engines. We, we've implemented a new billing engine and we, we're going to tell customers about it. They don't care. <laughs> they, they, they genuinely don't care. Um, yeah, unless it makes a material difference to how I engage with you as, a, as an organization, why, why are you telling me this stuff? So I think there is an interesting role for you know, marketing people going forward to, to, to almost become a bit of a filter and a bit of a sense check to go, why are we communicating this? What value is that to building a positive emotional connection with our audience? Mm. Yeah, that's very true. I, I completely agree with you. You're kind of preaching to the choir. <laughs> but listen, Ben, it's been really, really interesting to talk to you. And I feel like we could talk literally all day. Absolutely. <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we also just got a final wrap up question that we yeah. ask everyone. Um, so you're stuck in Slough for four hours with no internet, no phone and no laptop. What do you do? Wow. <laughs> that's a great question. So I think for me, that's about having time to reflect. Um, and yeah, a good friend of mine kind of advocates you you should spend time in your week just kind of disconnecting from, from all your technology and going and reading a book or just going sitting and listening to a podcast. No, you can't. I'm sorry, we can't do podcasts and we've got no technology. Um going reading, just going sitting and, and, and reflecting. So for me, I know, I know Slough. I know it's not far from the river. So I take a little walk to Windsor. Um, it's the nicer bit of Slough. And uh, I'm going to sit by the river and just think about what's happened in the last kind of few months. But for me, I'm, I'm guess, the eternal optimist, which you might have picked up on. So think about where it's going and what we can do differently going forward. brand acceleration agency for businesses that want to be part of the future. We help brands to find their momentum, to change and to transform through strategy and design. To find out more about our work and how Nala could help your business, visit us online at nala.co.uk.